Welcome to the New New Englanders. I'm Sarah. I'm Connor. And we're a couple people who live in Connecticut that want to bring to light the music, arts, and subcultures of New England and give them the recognition they deserve. Throughout this podcast, we'll interview people about their craft and what they do and why they do it. We'll also share fun stories, upcoming events, and spotlight different places in New England that we think you should check out. I think I could speak for both of us when I say that we really care about New England and see a lot of untapped potential here, too. This is us trying to do our part in providing a little spotlight for some of the great things that are happening in this region right now, both big and small. To give some background about us, I was born and raised in Connecticut and have lived here my whole life. Growing up, I always wanted to move, but as an adult, I can't really imagine living anywhere else but New England. Connor and I met in college at the University of Hartford, where we both connected over a love for music through college radio. At the time, I was booking DIY shows in my basement and at other local venues throughout the state, and after graduating, I began working for Manic Presents, a local concert promotion company doing marketing for shows. Besides loving live music, I'm also a huge fan of visual art, animation, and film, and outside of the arts world, I participate competitively in a local pinball league, and I also enjoy fishing and camping. So I personally did not grow up in New England, and I'm actually from New Jersey, which I'm very sorry about. Um, like Sarah said, I also went to the University of Hartford, and after graduating and spending a stint of time back in New Jersey, I've since moved to Connecticut for the foreseeable future. Um, currently, I'm an engineer, and in my free time, I enjoy working on music and sometimes graphic design. And beyond that, I just love exploring New England. And with all that said, I think it's time now that we get into the news. New news with the new New Englanders. All right. So <laughs> up first, uh, I have a news story out of Vermont. Um, they're actually filming a sequel to Beetlejuice. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that when I found this. Um, I didn't either. And they originally filmed the first one in Vermont, so they're filming the second one there too. And it's starring multiple members of the original cast, so Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, and Catherine O'Hara. Um, and Jenny Ortega is actually Winona Ryder's daughter, which is cool because she's like young and relevant and whatever. Um, so all the outdoor scenes are filmed there. Uh, they actually like replanted all the grass on the hill where the house once stood and like rebuilt a new house um, and rebuilt the covered bridge that the people die on. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Spoilers, jeez. I guess. I mean, by this time, I think it's okay to spoil things about Beetlejuice. Sorry, everybody. Um, so they actually began filming after the floods that have been happening in Vermont this summer. So there was a lot of like general destruction of the area and the town that they were in. Um, but where they were doing the actual filming was fine. Where they built everything was okay. It seems that townspeople have mostly been pretty excited about this. Um, some are kind of cranky, though, which I find to be really funny. And these are a few quotes from one of the articles I found about it. Um, this one man said that there were too many people and that he didn't appreciate the food truck taking up space in the parking lot as res at his residence. <laughs> and another woman lamented the tourists parking in front of her home, some of which whom had ignorantly exposed themselves to poison sumac. Uh, <laughs> interesting. So wait, she wait. was kind of... Does she live in the Beetlejuice home? I, I didn't think there was no, like an actual they, house. No, they just live in the town. Right. So the house that was in the original one was also just built for the movie. And in, in this one, they built a different house also for the movie and then took it apart after they were done filming it. 
Right. Which leads me to my next point is that during the filming and after, um, a lot of the stuff that they used, like props, got stolen uh, on two or three different occasions. So there was a, a lamppost. They like lined up the streets with lampposts with like jack lanterns on them because it's supposed to be Halloween time in the movie. Um, somebody stole that. Somebody also stole the big sculpture that Delia Dietz makes. I don't know if you remember the movie that well, but she makes this like huge claw looking ugly sculpture. Yeah, I remember. And it weighs apparently 150 pounds and someone stole that from like the filming area and they haven't found the person. Good for them. And then after they like deconstructed the house, they had actually donated, I guess, a bunch of the stuff to a local organization or business. And someone else stole six windows that were for the house, which is very strange. It seems like anything they can get their hands on, the people of Vermont are taking for themselves. They want they yeah. want all of the Beetlejuice props. Yeah. I can't blame them. It's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. And I think that it'll be really cool. I guess there's been a bunch of tourists that have gone during the filming. And even just over time, people have you know, come to the town as tourists to check it out. I mean, another cool, fun little fact is that the town in the movie is actually supposed to be in Connecticut, which I find funny that they filmed it in Vermont. I don't, I wonder what stopped them from just filming in Connecticut. (laughs) It doesn't seem as if it had to be. I don't know. Maybe Vermont, just the town they were in is prettier, but I feel like there's pretty enough. Vermont feels more like Connecticut than Connecticut does. (laughs) (laughs) It's important to capture the Connecticut essence as accurately as possible for the Beetlejuice movies, which means you have to do in Vermont. That's true. But yeah, so the movie's due to come out in September of 2024, but that could get postponed due to the strike because we don't know when the strike's going to be over and how long things are going to take. But that's the current due date for the movie. Well, I will definitely be there to see it. Me too, probably. Whether it's any good or not. (laughs) So as we all know, the Women's World Cup is currently happening. And as far as I've been able to tell, I haven't been watching very closely. I'm not hugely into football. (laughs) But the U.S. women's team has been kind of struggling in this tournament, uh, more so than it has in recent history. Up until this point, the women's team has been known for being somewhat dominant in the World Cup, which is... Obviously a big news story in America, given that, uh, you know, we're not usually that great (laughs) at at soccer. But there is a contingency of women from Connecticut who have been doing a fantastic job in the tournament. And you'd think they would be playing for the U.S. women's team. But in fact, they're playing for the Jamaican women's team. What? Yes. There are actually more women from Connecticut playing in the Jamaican women's team than there are in the American team. From what I've been able to find, there are two New Englanders playing for the U.S. women's national team, that being Alyssa Naher from Stratford, Connecticut, and Christy Mewis from Hanson, Massachusetts. But there are three women from Connecticut on the Jamaican (laughs) World's Cup team. How is that even possible? 
I don't understand exactly how nationality works as far as like playing for these teams, but I'm assuming that they would all have some sort of dual citizenship with Jamaica. But this makes me think that Jamaica is the true Connecticut and even the true New England team <laughs> playing in the World Cup tournament. I think that as New Englanders, the team that we should be supporting really is Jamaica. <laughs> As for uh, having the most people from Connecticut. So on the team, there are two sisters, Allison and Chantelle Swaby. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. From West Hartford. Born and raised, played youth soccer in West Hartford. And both played for Hall High School later on. Wait, born and raised in West Hartford? Sorry, I don't know if they were born and raised. Uh, All I'm reading here is that they grew up playing youth soccer in West Hartford. That's definitely an important (laughs) discrepancy as far as uh, nationality and citizenship is concerned. Thank you for catching that. But I mean, they could have gotten citizenship later in life, I guess. Yeah, I I honestly, I don't know how all this works. All I know for sure is that Connecticut has a true contingency in the World Cup for Jamaica. As well as the Swabby sisters, there's also Peyton McNamara who is playing for Jamaica in this year's World Cup. Um, She's a midfielder who played for four years at Brienne McManon High School in Norwalk. So, personally, I'll be supporting Jamaica for the rest of their playoff uh, run. They've been doing pretty well so far, and they've uh, clinched a, a progression to the next part of the tournament. So, who knows? That's pretty cool. I actually just looked up Peyton... It looks like she's eligible to represent Jamaica because of her mother's heritage. So that might be the other sisters as well. Gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I was unable to confirm whether there were anyone else on the team who might be from New England states or have spent (laughs) a decent amount of time in New England or even played for it. It's not easy to find (laughs) this information. I'm just going based off of a Connecticut news story, specifically pointing out how three of the players are from Connecticut, but there could be other New Englanders on this Jamaican Women's World Cup team. We don't know. I'm going to attempt to do more research on this in the future, but the fact that there is definitely more New Englanders <laughs> on the Jamaican team than the U.S. team is really something. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty sick. Yeah, I wish them all the best and uh, the best of luck going forward <laughs> in this tournament. All right, so that's it for the news. Time to hop into this week's hot subject. Hot pizza from New Haven. There's so much to be said about New Haven style pizza, but it's a very, it's a controversial subject, honestly. Um, this is something that definitely gets people heated. You know, your, your hometown pizza is certainly close, close to your heart, but New Haven style pizza specifically has been around for a pretty long time. As far as like regional pizza varieties go, it looks as if New Haven style pizza is coming out of the 1920s with the opening of Frank Pepe Pizzeria in 1925. That being the sort of grandfather of an entire movement of New Haven style pizza that would stem off from there. So, We have Frank Pepe opening in 1925, 
followed by Modern a Pizza in 1934, and then Sally's a Pizza in 1938. And all three of those kind of represent the old guard of New Haven-style pizza and currently are all open today and still have decently long wait times and are, like, historically uh, popular spots. And as far as I've been able to find, have have always been places of quality and have not, like, fallen off in any way, shape, or form. Maybe some people will have... Uh, some opinions on the franchises of Frank Pepe's of which there are now numerous. But as far as we can tell, the original spots have been standing up to their name and their history of being these spots sacred in the world of regional pizza. Sarah, would you be able to define for us quickly what makes New Haven style pizza specifically New Haven style pizza? Sure. Before I get into that, I just want to correct your pronunciation of abits. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I forgive so you. It's abits? It's abits. And that's with a B? Abits? <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way it's pronounced, which is because of the dialect of the people who brought the pizza here in the first place. Oh, those Neapolitans. Those <laughs> those crazy Italians. <laughs> Be careful what you say. <laughs> I apologize to any and all <laughs> Italians listening. You are not crazy. It's me that's wrong. <laughs> anyway, New Haven style pizza is really known for its charred crust. When you look at it, you see it. It's a charred thin crust. You know that that's New Haven style pizza. They get that charred crust from a really, really high temperature coal burning oven. Um, A lot of other places will do wood burning, you know, more common places. But the thing that makes it charred New Haven style pizza is their coal fired ovens because they burn at a higher temperature and whatever. Mm. That's really the main identifier of New Haven pizza. You know, some people will say, that New Haven pizza is the way that it is because of the water. I don't know if that's true. It's However, always about the water. Everybody thinks that all pizza is just like comes down to what tap water you're using. I don't know <laughs> if I buy that. <laughs> I don't know if I do either, and I don't know if there's actually any like scientific evidence of that. There are companies but, that ship out New York tap water to as far as the West Coast so that they can have this regional pizza brought to other locations which to me sounds insane and wasteful honestly but people swear by it people swear that somehow the tap water in the dough is causing like regional (laughs) variety in pizza but yeah as far as i've been able to notice myself in my experiences with new haven style pizzas a big part of it is how thin and sort of uh cracker like the crust is yeah i mean another thing too that people like to say makes it what it is, is just the actual ovens that they're being made in, Um, which is like we talked about with the Pepe's franchising maybe not being as good as the original. A lot of people say it's because it's not the same ovens. Oh, so they have to be like a hundred year old. It's, it's because it's, (laughs) they're so, they're still using the old equipment of like essentially since they've opened. I have no idea if that is true or not. Hmm. 
I'm just saying this is what people say. From our field trip to where we went to the original Frank Pepe's, it seemed like that might be true. I mean, it it seems like they've essentially kept that dining room uh, with minimal changes since, like, you know, it opened. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely expanded. They have their original location, the spot, which is set back a little bit off the street, and then they have the location that's closer to the front where we actually, like, got told to go where, where to go. And they all have ovens in there as well. So they don't just have the first oven. That's probably not accurate. Um, I mean, they might, but... Who knows? Who knows? They have secrets. Yeah. They won't reveal all their secrets of how they get their pizza. That would be, you know, a huge mistake. That's true. <laughs> it's the, the secret Krabby Patty formula. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of planktons around the New Haven area <laughs> who are trying to get their hands... The grubby little mitts all over the secret formulas <laughs> employed by these uh, old guard of New Haven Pizza. Probably. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, we went we went to Frank Pepe's last week and we both tried the white clam pie for the first time. Yeah. Which I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I would say that it is very rich. I said it while we were eating it. Definitely super high in sodium. We got it with bacon, which is recommended, supposedly, by people and staff alike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that staff Staff are not people. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I meant. <laughs> Both by humankind and their staff <laughs> alike. <laughs> Man, we're, we're really going to get attacked <laughs> after this. Oh, no. The Italians oh. are going to be after us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, I, I also, I really liked it. Um, I was a little hesitant, honestly, because there's something that, when you first think about it, feels deeply wrong about uh, a clam pizza. Probably just because I don't, I don't think the majority of pizza places would be able to pull that off with like any sort of finesse whatsoever. Um, this was great. I, I thought it was really, really good. It, it kind of had a bit of like a shrimp scampi flavor, honestly, but I, I'm definitely on board to get that again at some point. Yeah. I mean, that's the second time that I've ever had seafood on a pizza before. Um, the other time was a lobster ricotta pizza, which was also very good. That was from another spot in New Haven bar. That's definitely more insane. <laughs> it was very pie. good. Have you? So you never had anchovies on a pie? No, I've never been like an anchovy person. I don't even know if I've ever actually tried them. But the fact that they're like little <laughs> and come in a can. I mean, that's, I assume, <laughs> the same as the clams, right? <laughs> uh, probably. I, I, I get why. I would try it. I would try it. I get people are a little freaked out by the like the whole fish sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely pro anchovies on pizza. Anchovies are great. I believe you. <laughs> That'll be the next uh, pizza field trip that we make. Okay. Just force me to eat an anchovy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we got our white clam pie. We got the original tomato pie. 
Um, but we actually meant to get the fresh tomato pie. We realized after we put the order in, we're looking at the menu more. That's kind of the funny thing about this is a lot of New Haven style pizza. It's it's so small on the details. Like you're looking at the menu and it can be a little bewildering at first because the sort of differentiating factors of like one pizza to the next will be so small that it's like it takes a couple reads to pick up on like what is actually changing. Like you kind of look at the menu and th- there are like 10 options that seem very close to each other. But yeah. Like that that's kind of the thing about New Haven style pizza is that the devil's in the details. Like it really comes down to the small aspects, which I kind of appreciate as like, you know, there you're being asked or told demanded even <laughs> to appreciate the small details and that seems to be what they consistently get right. Yeah, I mean they at Pepe's they encourage you to put less toppings on your pizza. So they they want you to appreciate the simplicity of the simple ingredients. They're artisans. They're uh they're focused <laughs> on the small stuff. <laughs> um but yeah, so we got we got our pizza and of course we could not eat New Haven style pizza without getting Fox and Park soda. Mm. Locally made in Connecticut in East Haven. Literally like the best pizza. I said pizza. Did I say pizza before too? Hold I don't on. know. Cut this whole cut this whole part out. I don't know why. I don't know why I keep doing that. Fox and Park, Dude. known for their pizza. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Woo. <laughs> Sorry. Every okay. single time you say Fox and Park, it comes out pizza. <laughs> okay. I'm trying this again. Okay, so yeah, we got our pizza and we could not have it without getting Fox and Park soda, which is locally made in East Haven and it is the best soda that you could get in Connecticut at least. I don't know about other places. But I got the classic white birch. You know, can't go wrong with that, but it can, yeah, pizza, New Haven pizza cannot be consumed without Fox and Park. I definitely agree. It's it's kind of interesting that Fox and Park also got its start essentially during this time period of New Haven pizza getting its start. I think it's 1922 is when they opened. And so, yeah, it's it seems like this might be the most traditional new haven meal possibly <laughs> might be, it seems as if a fox and park and pizza has been kind of a standard go-to in the area for at least a hundred years or about a hundred years now that could be like my final meal ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn so no, like, I would probably do something way more extravagant than that. But it would maybe <laughs> be like a, it would maybe be a part of like a three course meal. Is that one of the courses is just like New Haven pizza and Fox and Park soda? I can get behind it. Honestly, that'd be a good uh, request on on death row. <laughs> <laughs> Easily done if you're in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that pairing too is just like so classic of Connecticut. I think that the only other real like. Connecticut food that's like classic is steamed cheeseburgers, which is a whole nother like rabbit hole you can go down. 
we cannot get into burgers. We cannot. <laughs> no, no. We got to move on. Back to pizza. So, yeah, what I want to talk about a little now is some other regional styles of pizza around the United States that I think are particularly interesting. The first I have here is Ohio Valley style pizza. Sarah, how much do you know about Ohio Valley style pizza? Nothing. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about it until a couple hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Ohio Valley style pizza is known for cooking a crust and tomato sauce in the oven, taking it out, and then topping it with cold cheese and whatever other toppings that you would put on your pizza. And the whole this point... This is not okay. Yeah, the whole point of consuming this pizza is to experience some sort of, like, temperature differential between, like, <laughs> your toppings and, and the rest of it. I don't really get it. I don't, I don't understand, like... I don't even know if this qualifies <laughs> as a style or just a weird decision to make. <laughs> Another thing to note is that it seems like they're only made in squares. Yeah. Like, it's a square pizza. It literally looks like a Lunchable. <laughs> like it looks like somebody I mean it has essentially the consistency oh of a lunchable just with yeah. warm sauce <laughs> <laughs> you threw the little sauce packet in the microwave for a couple seconds <laughs> yeah this would I honestly though if you're making a lunchable and you're going through the trouble of microwaving it I feel like you'd put the cheese on first I don't yeah I don't understand <laughs> what the point of this is honestly maybe I have to give this a shot but it doesn't seem like this even qualifies as a regional pizza variety. This is just a weird decision you made when making a pizza. None of the photos look appetizing. It looks like it's like defrosted Elio's pizza. It kind of looks like a freezer pizza that just hasn't <laughs> been put in the oven. But I guess that's yes. half the point. So whatever. I hate it. Um, another style I have here is Altoona style pizza. How much do you know about this? Sarah, Altoona style. I don't even know what Altoona is. So Altoona is a town in Pennsylvania, and it's specifically the town that has the uh, wonderful accolade of being the home to America's most disturbing style of pizza. <laughs> so it sounds great at first. It's a Sicilian style. So once again, like square slices. It's got tomato sauce. Green bell pepper, which might already be enough to like set some people <laughs> against it. Then peppercorn salami. Once again, a little bit of a strange choice is not, you know, it's not pepperoni, but whatever. This, this sounds fine so far until you get to the fact that their cheese that they are putting a thick layer on top, like across the entire pizza, they choose yellow American slices, craft singles as the cheese for this pizza. This literally looks horrifying. It does. It definitely looks <laughs> like a terrifying thing to eat. This is the Frankenstein's monster of regional pizza varieties. Actually, that's that's being too kind. This is the swamp thing of <laughs> regional pizza in America. I don't like it kind of <laughs> it kind of looks like someone took like latex and laid it over the top and then used like a heat gun to make it like melt the pizza because of the way that the yellow cheese just looks so rubbery. Yeah. I hate this. That's hate the thing it. about American cheese, like Kraft singles is if you talk to like someone who makes burgers, like, like a burger chef, <laughs> sometimes they will, they will back up the Kraft American singles being the ideal cheese for a burger because it has this weird property where when you heat it up, it keeps its shape. 
so oftentimes when you're putting on a cheeseburger, it's just kind of this like utilitarian thing where it like works well for that context. But yeah, in, in the, when you're making pizza with it, like a complete lunatic from Altoona, Pennsylvania, it will end up looking completely fake by the end because it doesn't melt. It has this weird like roof shingle look to it. <laughs> like you just shingle the pizza. Also, just solely the fact that it's American cheese on pizza is not okay. Yeah. Like, that does not belong anywhere near pizza. <laughs> Part of me kind of wants to give it a try, but I'm just still not sure. I don't know if I could really be made to actually attempt this. I don't know. if I don't think I could eat this. I think that if this was set down in front of me, I would, like, physically gag. Wait, I, might be, I might be being dramatic, but it does not <laughs> look good. Oh, it definitely does not look good. I think there's something to be said about the fact that this is Altoona-style pizza, and even the rest of Pennsylvania has not signed off on this. <laughs> this has oh, been no. quarantined to a very small town. <laughs> it's not really spreading beyond there. <laughs> but who knows? Who knows what the future holds? I think it can stay there. Agreed. Part of the reason I, I bring these other styles of pizza up is because I think it's really interesting, like we were saying before, that New Haven, unlike many regional pizza cultures, they're not showing you some bizarre abomination. Like, they're not like Chicago, who's showing you a lasagna and saying, this is pizza to us. <laughs> they're, <laughs> like, they're honestly kind of even more purists about what pizza is than, like, New York, which is probably one of the most stringent pizza cultures in the country which kind of sets them apart i think from a lot of the country as far as like their regional variety of pizza yeah i mean like i know plenty of people who quote unquote hate connecticut or growing up always wanted to move away but at the same time in the same breath they will defend new haven pizza to the death like they will die on the hill that is defending new haven pizza and that's valid. It's yeah, valid. It definitely <laughs> is. <laughs> I think a lot of the time, like the last straw for people of like, having some sort of like pride or loyalty towards where they grew up or where they're from is the food in that area. And as Americans, pizza is an incredibly important part of that loyalty and that sense of pride for your area. But New Haven specifically, I mean, they're really serious about this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, there isn't just New Haven style pizza places in New Haven, which I think is a little bit of a downside to those business owners who are opening a business of pizza in like a very popular pizza town with a very specific style. But a majority of them have their take on it and whatever. Um, and so I wanted to mention a few of those that I've enjoyed for a variety of reasons, one of which is bar. They actually are like climbing the ladder of popularity to kind of be on the same level as Sally's Modern and Pepe's. They're newer and they are different. They're not, you know, the same exact style of crust. They do have that charred crust, but I would say it's a little bit different. And also they're known for like their very special combinations of toppings. So they have... What they're most well-known for is their mashed potato bacon pizza, which is chef's kiss. Um, they also have a brisket pie, which is like brisket, jalapenos, honey, red onion. So good. <laughs> um, 
And then they had a street corn pizza when I went most recently. That was really good, too. Um, it had, like, crushed up Takis on top, which I thought was, like, the whitest thing that you could do to street <laughs> corn. But um, yeah. they're, they're all, they're, all of their pizzas are really good. Also, Delenia, which is now known as Nolo. I don't really know what that transfer is or when that happened or how that happened. Probably some, like, New Haven drama that I just don't know about. But they use a sourdough crust, um, and it's so good. But they also are, I actually looked into this, the only location that has, like, vegan options on the menu. Hmm. Like, they have a whole section of the menu that's just vegan options. And all of their pizzas can be made gluten-free. And out of all of the other pizza places, the only other one that does that is Modern. But I think that you can only get, like, one size of the gluten-free pizza. Um, and it's more expensive, whereas they didn't seem to, like, note whether it'd be more expensive or not to get gluten-free at Delenia. So that's pretty cool. I, I'd be honestly a little surprised to uh, hear, like, Frank Pepe or Sally's, like... <laughs> going uh you know having a vegan option i think they no they would never (laughs) yeah no they would never but even bar i looked on their menu and it doesn't seem like they do either which is kind of shocking because they're like located downtown they have like a huge young scene that comes through because they have like a club in the back and everything so i thought that they would be likely to have it but they don't and then the two others that i want to mention are like way more casual dining places First up is Brick Oven Pizza, which is located diagonally across the street from another New Haven staple, Three Sheets Bar. They're open late. You can get slices. The pizza is just good. I mean, I think I've really only had it back when I was drinking at like the end of the night after being at Three Sheets or after a show or something. That's the only time that I was really out and wanting late night pizza. But from, from that review, they're, it's very good. And it's super reasonably priced as well. And then the other one is Monte Carlo, which is the same exact concept. A little bit more of an obvious, like, in-and-out slices place. That is right near Cafe 9, so it's kind of on the other side of downtown. It's right near where State House was, so it's also a place that you would go, like, after the bar or after a show or something to get some slices. But those are two staples of, like, late-night New Haven culture. I, I, for one, am going to be making the effort to try all of these places at some point. And it wouldn't even be that difficult because nearly all of these are within like a two or three square mile area of New Haven. Oh, yeah. I mean, New Haven's also not that big, so it's pretty easy. It just depends on how much pizza you can take. I know my friends do a crust crawl every year where they go to all they like walk around New Haven and go to all the different pizza places. That sounds amazing, but also like an incredibly dangerous day. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so bloated by the end. <laughs> but yeah, no, they they're all so close in proximity, especially it's funny I didn't I didn't realize until recently that Sally and Frank Pepe are actually on the exact same street, are not far from each other at all. Oh, yeah. Also on that street is Zanelli's Pizza, which is very good, and Abate's Pizza, which we walked past and Connor pointed out was, like, totally demolished. And I actually just learned today or yesterday that it actually burned down. Um, Oh. Yeah, which is really sad. Um, They're working on, I believe, opening a new location. I'm not sure where, 
But yeah, that is, they had a fire back in May. Well, hate to hear it. Let's definitely not end the pizza section <laughs> on that note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it'd be relatively easy to make a day of it to try slices all over New Haven. And you could find for yourself where you stand in the controversial rankings <laughs> of who does it best. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not just defending New Haven pizza. Most people have, like, a specific place that is their favorite I, of the three. Yeah, I, I just read that Sinatra say. was a Sally's guy. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's take something. That, take with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think everyone should figure out for themselves where they stand on the rankings of the New Haven pizza on who Make does it a best. whole day of it. Make a whole weekend of it. Visit New Haven. It's a very yeah. cool city. Not only is there pizza, but there's also beautiful architecture and events. Yale is there, which if that's interesting to you, you can go. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, I, I could care less about them. Um I used to live in New Haven, and I can say that it is a wonderful place to live and do things, and there's a beautiful community there. So if you ever want to make the trip, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. And with that, maybe it's a good time to now talk about some of the things that are up and coming. I agree. What's next? All right. Well, up until September 3rd, 2023... There is a Walter Wick exhibit at the New Britain Museum in Connecticut. Walter Wick, if you don't know, is the guy who like designed and photographed all of the I Spy books. Oh. Yes. That's awesome. And he has an exhibit there. It's been running all summer. I still have yet to go, even though I live in New Britain now. I'm hoping to go next weekend and check it out. It's a fun little fact that Walter Wick was actually born in Hartford, so not very far from here. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that it'll be definitely be very cool. I'll probably see some scenes f from books from when I was little. I used to love those books growing up. Um, but yeah, it's not too expensive to go. And there are other great exhibits in the museum as well that are totally worth checking out. And it's located in a park that's beautiful too. So definitely worth going to. I think I'll definitely be making a stop there as well. I love those books as, when I was a kid too. I wonder how much, how much I might remember, just because they're images that we would have stared at for so long. <laughs> I know, right? I probably, <laughs> if I see one and recognize it, it'll immediately be like, oh my god, I remember this one. <laughs> and it's cool because it's it's not just photos. There are some like sculptural things in there as well. Oh, cool! I was like kind of, parts of the dioramas he made. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that there would be like entire scenes built, but I could imagine that that would probably be really hard to recreate. Um, but there yeah. are little like figurines and things that are from those dioramas that are there. That's cool. I hope that I hope that the images themselves are are massive. I would love to see like a really blown up copy. You know. Yeah, according to this article about it, they seem to be a lot bigger than the books were. So that's kind of exciting. So I also have a museum exhibit to tell you to go to this week. 
Uh, this is the exhibit at the Lyman Allen Art Museum in New London, which is where I live. And the exhibit is works from the life of Barclay L. Hendricks, who was actually a New London local. He taught at Connecticut College for many years, right next door to the museums. He has a really interesting body of work. The exhibit had photographs from all periods of his life and a great collection of some of the portraits he did. Uh, the portraits are inspired by the works of the old masters, but they feature subjects from the times in which he was making them. Many of the ones in the exhibit are from the 1970s. It, it was so interesting to see him utilizing these techniques of the old masters in a completely modern way. They're beautiful paintings. I really had a great time getting to see them up close. Uh, it's especially interesting to me to see the sort of lineage of his art to modern artists like Hinda Wiley, who's best known for his portrait of Barack Obama and similar old masters inspired portraiture of contemporary subjects. It's a great exhibit. It is particularly interesting to me as a New London local to see how the area inspired and imprinted itself on a lot of his works. There's photographs from all around town. And for me, it was a lot of fun to recognize a lot of the spots that he was taking them, but to also see a new London of years ago photographed by like an incredibly capable artist. I really can't recommend enough this exhibit as just being like a fantastic body of work of a Connecticut local and just something that like as it ages becomes more and more prominent in time, like more and more relevant. Also, the Lyman Allen Art Museum in general is a hidden gem and definitely worth the trip. They have like some really interesting works there. Uh, they also have an awesome exhibit on Tiffany Glass right now, which I didn't know Ooh. anything about before I saw it. But there's some great lamps in there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Do you know when the exhibit is running until? Yes, the exhibit will be running until September 3rd of this year. So get there while you can. So both are running until September 3rd. That's really interesting. The Walter Wick one and that one. Yeah, it's true. After then, who knows? <laughs> I'm sure it'll still be good. But yeah, definitely some, get to the Barkley L. Hendricks exhibit. Well, that is all we have today. Wow. Episode one in the books. That's all we have for today's show. We hope to see you next time. We love you. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> we love you so much. <laughs> <laughs>